Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener on our private feed where you'll have ad-free episodes and join us in Zoom meetups to meet other listeners of our podcast community. Go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes. You know, if we're sitting back waiting for it to happen, yeah, you'll have stuff happen, but really it's our responsibility to create our own happiness. Honestly, that's really goddamn uncomfortable for me. Three, two, one. My name's Esprit Devora, host of The Women in Tech Show. The show means a lot to me. The reason why I wanted to create The Women in Tech Show is I wanted to create a positive piece of content, something where people can listen and say, if she can do it, so can I. Hi, this is Joe Peterson. I'm the Vice President of Cloud and Security with Clarify 360. I've been listening to the Women in Tech podcast for about a year, and I was drawn in by the energy and enthusiasm of the Women in Tech podcast. Esprit does a really great job in sharing stories of women in tech so that young female listeners can put themselves in the shoes of these women speaking. See, I strongly believe that if we don't show young women the way forward in tech by sharing our stories, then they won't know what's possible. The stories are what creates the value and inspiration. Great job, guys. The best business resource I have is my mentor's private Facebook group. I've never found a community that cares more about one another's success. It inspired me to create the same thing for podcasters. If you're a tech company or startup looking to grow your podcast audience, I created GetPodcastListeners.com, a private group specifically to discover how other podcasters have grown their audiences so we could do the same. Check out GetPodcastListeners.com. That's GetPodcastListeners.com. Hi, I'm Esprit Deborah, host of the We Are LA Tech podcast, born and raised in LA. Together, we are unifying and celebrating the Los Angeles tech community. Join us. Half the people walked in and walked out. They didn't even want anything to do with me. There is literally nothing that's standing in the way except yourself. The partner came to us and said, hey, I'll give you a million bucks right now. This is where I've always wanted to be, Los Angeles. Subscribe to We Are LA Tech wherever you get your podcasts. Today's personal spot is, should you have a podcast? Podcasting has been blowing up like crazy. It's like the new blog and everybody wants to have a podcast, but should you have a podcast? Not necessarily. Podcasting is a lot of work. I know it doesn't seem like a lot of work, but it is a lot of work. And it doesn't have the same kind of numbers that, let's say, a YouTube channel has, where I wouldn't say it's easy for a YouTuber to get to a million subscribers, but it's definitely more doable than podcasts because that many more people are watching YouTube than are listening to podcasts. People are still discovering what podcasts are. Yes, it's getting more and more popular every year, but it's nowhere near the numbers for YouTube. Now, 
if that's the case, should you just have a YouTube podcast rather than an audio podcast? Not necessarily. I don't want to have a YouTube podcast because my craft is is audio. Like that's what I enjoy producing. And so what you want to ask yourself to understand if you want to have a podcast are why do you want to create this podcast? What do you want out of it? Is podcasting the best medium to get those results? And how can you utilize the content in multiple ways so that you leverage the time invested into producing your podcast? And so if you're producing your podcast, I'm assuming for your company, what are the different ways that you could utilize the podcast? Can you turn your podcast into an internal company newsletter? Can you turn your podcast into something that would benefit your customers? What are the different ways that you could utilize your podcast so that it really pushes your company forward? One of my friends uses the podcast so that people he has sales calls with can get more of an, a sense of rapport and credibility of what it would be like working with his company and it helps him close the deals. So what are all the different ways that you could utilize a podcast so that it is really in alignment with your business goals rather than just creating a podcast for the sake of creating a podcast because everybody else is doing it. Anyway, I hope that helps a little bit and I'll see you guys in the next episode. the Women in Tech podcast, celebrating women in tech around the world. So excited for our next guest, Karen, coming at us from Dublin, Ireland. Welcome to the show. Oh, it's so great to be here. Thank you. I purposely wore a green sweater and then I've got like my ginger hair. Like I'm so quintessentially (laughs) Irish. You've no idea. (laughs) I love Ireland. Do you know I drove around the whole of Ireland once? It was so fun. It was it was amazing. Like Oh, just breathtaking. I even went surfing in the cold waters where I had to wear that full-on wetsuit that even covers my head. It was incredible. (laughs) Wow. Did you go to Dingle in Ireland? Yes. Yes. It's my favorite place in the world. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's such a beautiful country. Karen, go ahead. Tell us. Visit. Yes. Oh my gosh, I can't wait. Tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Sure. So. I'm probably most well known for overcoming multiple sclerosis, but I suppose what I've done in the past is, you know, I, I've I've set up a multi-million pound company when I was 23, all on Channel 4, of which I got kicked out of, which was uber embarrassing. But then I managed to come back to Ireland, forge myself a really great career working in retail, working in managing teams and radio. And the thing that I'm most proud of is my two daughters, age 17 and 10. I suppose something that you might not know is that I am obsessed with river dance. (laughs) And and I just, I love music. I used to teach hip-hop dance and street dance when I was younger. so random. I know, totally random. Like, I adore my family. You know, I suppose I I adore music festivals and going out. And just in the last few years, and I think it's the same for everyone, my identity, oh my God, when you ask that question, I'm like, I don't know who I am anymore other than feed my kids, work, sleep, and maybe go for a walk. (laughs) So there's an answer that I want to give, but then the real answer is not so exciting right now, I must say. (laughs) Totally. Before the pandemic, the podcast was fully in person. I I traveled to over 100 countries visiting all of you around the world. And so to go to being this like 
this uh, Zoom box thing. <laughs> It's been wild to transition over. And, you know, I'm just going to I know you're one of the first interviews where I'm reverting back to not recording video. And that has been really hard because traveling around the world, I never recorded video. We've always been an audio first podcast. But then in the pandemic and everybody's telling us, oh, you need to have video and you need to be staring at a screen and all this stuff. I, by the end of it, wanted to quit podcasting. And I didn't understand why. And I felt so energetically drained. I didn't know who it was. And my editing team suggested, why don't you just stop recording video? And it was really hard transition. I felt like I couldn't, like I I wouldn't be good enough. And they're like, you never recorded video before. Like why now? And I have to tell you, I feel so much more me doing something that's in alignment with how I want to operate in the world. And I know that's a like very different than what you're saying, but still it's like trying to find our identities in this pandemic time is really challenging. Oh, it so is. And you know what? Thank you for sharing that because we're living with all of these expectations consistently. And I heard a psychologist speak recently about our lives during the pandemic that, you know, ordinarily any other day we'd wake up and it's like having the equivalent of an empty jar when we wake up in the morning. And as our stresses go throughout the day, we probably get to about 50% of it being full by the time we go to bed. And, you know, if you're at 70%, it's like, yeah, okay, you know, you've had a bit of a stressful day. If you're at 100%, you've had a panic attack. But we're waking up at the moment and our jar is 50% full already with everything else that we're dealing with. So I really hear that inside of what you're saying, like it's actually just too much. So you've got to, I, I, I really acknowledge you for being able to, you know, drill down and your team, good on you for being able to say, hey, just get rid of the thing that you don't actually need because it's it's your essence and your interviewing and your energy. That's the magic of this podcast. Totally. Even right before this interview, I had an interview earlier today and, and I'm pretty tired today. And so I, between interviews, I was about to go respond to emails like in between let me make sure I get to everybody's needs real quick you know and then I I have a new thing it's called Shelpful I don't know if you've ever heard of it unfortunately it's only U.S. right now but it's a company where you have a person I'm gonna this is my description of the company you have a person dedicated to loving and prioritizing you (laughs) all day long that just a real person not a robot that just texts you all day long to make sure you're okay but not like better help not like a therapist like like her name's Marcy and I wake up and she's like, how do you want your day to go today? And I'm like, I want blah, blah, blah. She's like, how can we plan for that together? <laughs> like, And then, and she'll send me like, have you had your water yet? She goes, you're not a cactus. <laughs> Like, oh my god! So, like, right before, right before this, uh, doing this interview with you, I wanted to come energized for you, of course. And it was right before, but I, I got off my last interview and I thought, okay, I got to check my emails. And I'm like, no, I need to prioritize that I am okay. And so I messaged Marcy and I was like, I was about to check emails, but I'm not prioritizing me. So I'm going to go for a walk. She's like, good. She's like, and I'm going to take my veggie shake. And I like, it's like I have an accountability partner to self-love. Oh my God, I need that in my life. <laughs> right? That's, it's amazing. Oh it's absolutely God. amazing. Shelf, it's, I think it's Shelfful. It's with an S. S-H-E-L-P. F-U-L. I think it's .com. I'm not sure. But unfortunately, yeah. It, well, I think it's U.S. and Canada, but not um, not beyond that yet. Okay, um, maybe I need to get yeah. a VPN. <laughs> <laughs> I, right? Right? I was trying to set up my teammate who's in the Philippines on it with, with that as well. But they're, they, I don't know, it's like... 
It's amazing. Anyway, I think what we're talking about is really important. We need to make sure we're okay. And there is a lot going on and we are waking up in a more distressed place than normal. Most of us, some of us are having a great year. It's not 100% of us not having a great time, but a lot of people are, are waking up already kind of depleted from just what's going on in the world. And so we need to prioritize ourselves and make sure that we're okay throughout the day. 100%. Amen to that. And, and a really valid message because we do forget we do forget and we have all of these needs, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And we forget about them because we're so busy getting the basics done, you know. <laughs> Let's talk about MS because not everybody knows what that is. And it's such an important part of your life and your journey. Can you tell us a little bit about what MS is? Sure. So MS is, is short for multiple sclerosis. Um, and honestly, when I was diagnosed with it back in 2011, 2012, I had no idea what it, what it meant. I, I, the only vision that I had of it was somebody in a wheelchair. It's an autoimmune condition where um, it, it, there's three different types and, and there's differences in severity. And I suppose that one of the annoying things about MS is that there's no defined path, you know, you know, with any other disease um, or illness or autoimmunity. There's a defined, oh, this is what's going to, ha going to happen. This is what you can expect. And there is no one size fits all with uh, multiple sclerosis and it affects everyone differently. So it's, it's where your autoimmune basically attacks itself. And there can be different forms where it can affect people's mobility or maybe optically it can affect their um, eyes and their nerves around there. Or for some people, it affects their mobility severely. Um, I had relapse remitting MS, which meant that I would get attacks um, at different frequencies and, and the way that it um, showed up for me initially was numbness in my fingers and my right hand, like my ring finger and my baby finger. And the numbness grew all the way up my arm, all the way down the side of my body. And I, I only recognised it because I was blow drying my hair and I couldn't feel the heat wow. on the right hand side of my head. That's yeah. terrifying. You know what it really was? Because I had gone to the hospital the week before saying, look, I can't feel my my arm properly and they were like, hey, you probably just slept on it funny, but, you know, come back in for an outpatient MRI. And before the outpatient MRI came, this is when I felt the hairdryer. And so I, I packed an overnight bag because I just knew, you know, you know, you have that good instinct. Uh oh, something's not right here. And so I went and they sent me straight away down for an MRI and I'll never forget what the doctor said to me um, when I came back up because they wheeled me into a smaller room and that's when I thought, okay, they're delivering some bad news. He said the number of lesions on your brain would be normal for an 80-year-old. Whoa! Was, yeah. Yeah. So I'm sitting there like going, okay, I'm 31. My, my newest daughter is only six months old or so around the time and my eldest was seven years old. And I was thinking, shit, am I... Like my first thought was, am I going to end up in a wheelchair and will I be able to look after my kids? First thought, like, uh-oh. And and because I really didn't understand what MS was, I had, like, I had no, I had no precedence. I, I didn't know anybody with it. Um, and they were kind of scary words, you know, like it, it sounds like an awful disease. And uh, I think that the thoughts about the disease were probably worse than it actually was physically for me, if I'm honest. And and it's not saying that it wasn't bad, but where I went in my head was actually worse than where I physically went. That's how I was diagnosed and spent the next few years in and out of hospital and and having 
complications. I, I mean, I passed out driving on the highway um, and my liver count was seven times higher than it should have been. I had a brain swelling. I mean, it was, I, do you know what? I say this now because I've, I've done quite a lot of interviews about it and I've, I talk on TV about it quite a bit. And it, it's not that I'm trying to diminish the story. It's like, I'm really passionate about transforming how disease is treated because there's, I mean, there's, one in five people in the US, for example, with an autoimmune illness. And, you know, my experience was that, I, look, I had a great medical team around me. Oh, my goodness. And I had medical insurance, which was, I mean, I had royal treatment, you know, in terms of getting diagnosed. I didn't have to wait a long time. I didn't have any difficulty getting access to medication, which was such a godsend, like such a blessing. But, you know, I had this diagnosis and then I'm given this high tech prescription. I learn how to inject myself. You know, I'm at home Um, I'd given up my career because my health was going in one direction. My career was going and I had a really successful career. You know, I was managing uh, sales and marketing for a radio station at the time and I loved it. And, you know, I felt like I'd given up my identity then to look after my health, which was like demoralizing is probably the best word that I could use. But like, uh, you know, asking for money to buy groceries and then, you know, being at home, I'd used to lock the door in the kitchen so that my kids wouldn't come in and see me injecting myself. Wow. You know, like, yeah. And, and I knew that my body and, and, you know, I'm told this, it's, it's normal for your body to reject the medication. So I knew that I had to take paracetamol or some kind of medication to calm my body because I knew it was going to go into a fever. I knew I was going to start shaking because I'd gotten to know my body and what happened. So I knew that I had about two or three days every time I injected myself or I would be wiped out. So I spent like the next four years just honestly depressed. I think this is the reason that I am so committed to transforming how disease is treated because when you show up in hospital, they treat the symptoms like they're trained to do. That is their job. But I suppose as humans, we forget the human side of it, that you're then going home and you're left with your thoughts. And, you know, my thoughts were... How did I end up here? Oh, my God, am I to blame? What can I do? I want to help myself. And any time I went to Google, oh, my God, did I go down a rabbit hole and all I found were horror stories. I mean, worst case scenario. So and I didn't want to tell anyone how scared I was because A, would then be admit, admitting my vulnerability, which I was certainly not comfortable with at the time. And then B, I didn't want anyone to treat me differently. So all of my energy was spent putting on this facade, pretending that, you know, oh, I've got this. I'm fine. So I like over accelerated myself in helping everybody else with whatever else they needed. And, I, you know, I say it laughing now because, you know, looking in the rearview mirror, I can see how ridiculous it was, but it was my coping mechanism but it, I mean, it ran me into the ground and I became resentful, you know, and exhausted. And it wasn't until, you know, I was at a, like a wellness seminar uh, a week after my ex walked out on Christmas Day. This isn't a sob story, by the way. We're great friends now. But it, it got to a point where, you know, our relationship was breaking down. This was really having an effect on everything. And it wasn't until I was at a, a wellness seminar and somebody said to me, what are you grateful for? And I thought screw you. What do I have to be grateful for? Like I'm on an illness benefit. I have two kids. Like I just I couldn't see the wood for the trees. And it was the moment, you know, like a fish being taken out of water and you're like, oh, my God, I'm 
have I sunk so low? Am I actually that unhappy that I can't think of anything? And that was the moment it all changed. Everything changed. And it was like somebody smacking me with a wet fish across the face. Like I was consumed with like, I can't do it. I'm not able. Um, God, you name it. I, I, all, the negative narrative was so loud. And I'd got, I'd just gotten lost in the diagnosis. I really had gotten lost. And I wrote down, I'll never forget, I have the journal beside me. I wrote down in a journal that day that I was going to make myself happy. And it was the biggest commitment and, and seemed like the most ridiculous thing I'd ever kind of made a commitment for because I genuinely didn't know what it looked like anymore. It was like, what even is it? You know, like I said to you at the beginning of the of the podcast, you know, I used to dance, I used to do this. I'd forgotten what made me happy. And everything started to change from then. And so, you know, fast forward, you know, being in my neurologist's office and he's saying, well, you know, what have you been doing? Your MRIs are, you know, looking amazing. All of your lesions have shrunk. And I'm like, okay. No and, way. Yeah. Stop. I can't. Okay, keep going. Yeah. But this is insane. Yeah. Well, so <laughs> I'll, I'll rewind. A year before that, I had to give up medication. And let, like, I'm putting a great big asterisk point on this. I do not recommend that to anyone. I'm not medically trained. I'm not giving medical advice. But because my liver count was seven times higher than it should have been, and I'd collapsed driving, they're like, okay, we need to give your body a rest. So I made a pact with my neurologist that if I had any more attacks or if I developed any more lesions that we would find a new protocol or something for me to do. So, you know, they were keeping a really close eye on me. So I had MRIs every three to six months. So, you know, he's looking at them. And, you know, every time I had a neurologist appointment, I was so nervous because it was like, oh, God, I, I knew how the medication affected me personally. And I, I, I preferred not to be on it, but I was really scared about shit, like what, what's going to happen? And, you know, you, you do put your hands in your medical teams, you know, or your health in your medical uh, team's hands. So it's like, look, all of your lesions have shrunk. What have you been doing? So I'm like listing off, you know, vitamin D, meditation, working on myself, you know, and I was, I was rambling and he's like, okay, well, whatever you're doing, keep doing it. Your MS has burnt out. What? Yes. <laughs> Like, not to make it so simple, but your MS burnt out by choosing to be happy. Yeah. Well, yeah. That was that was the priming for everything else to change. What? Yeah. This is bonkers. Yeah. <laughs> now, I did a lot more than just write down, oh, I'm going to make myself. It wasn't just, you know, oh, that's it. I wrote it on paper. Uh, fairy dust. Oh, my goodness. I mean, you know, parts of the journey were not pretty. And, you know, I, I've had... People asked me before, so I ended up publishing a gratitude journal because of, you know, the priming that that helped me to do, you know, priming my brain first, you know, first thing in the morning, writing down what I was grateful for is creating new neural pathways. And that actually just allowed me to like myself again, to get interested in looking after myself and actually seeking support, seeking you know, having a conversation rather than dealing with it all by myself and being afraid to acknowledge what I was really dealing with. So, yes, it did stem from there. And, you know, I, I talk about this in, in, in my coaching and, you know, when we talk about self-care, you know, people think that it's, oh, you know, lovely candles and massages. And yes, and that's lovely. But really, the self-care for me was really getting honest with myself, like, 
looking at my financial status, looking at my relationships, bringing integrity to my life, but really acknowledging that I hadn't been doing anything to help myself. And that's not blame, by the way, or it's not saying, oh, you have to, you know, if you're not doing this, I was dealing with an illness, you know, that's it's a it's a serious circumstance. And I had given up on myself. You know, I remember hearing oh, or reading and probably getting it sent to me by about 50 different people. There was some article in a newspaper a few years back saying there's a cure for MS and, you know, they're in testing stages. It'll be out in 10 years. And I remember making the decision there and then, screw it. I'm going to do whatever I want now because it's fine. So I don't have to do anything. (laughs) It was like I gave up on influencing myself. It was like, I'm just going to wait for that to come out. So really me making the decision to make myself happy was also me having a bit of responsibility for my own happiness, you know, not waiting on somebody to fix me and and realizing that actually I'm not broken. Have you heard um, Jewel, the musician, she was just interviewed on the Joe Rogan podcast. Have you heard that episode? No. It's it's a must listen. Okay. And it's all about how she grew up and how she just decided she is going to prioritize happiness. She wasn't a happy person. And so she decided um, young, like, um, I don't know, 17, 18 or something like that, that all her decisions were going to be happiness first. And so including when she, um, like uh, at one point in her life, she was, what's it called? Uh, uh, a klepto, like where she would steal stuff. Something like that. I, I can't, something like that. She didn't like necessarily like like it about herself, but she like needed the uh, energy of it. or so, so she just decided I'm going to fix all this by choosing to be happy and like studying how to be happy and prioritizing that so that I'm living a more, uh, you know, wholesome, honorable life, essentially, right? One of the choices she even made was she was at the height of her music career and everybody, uh, she was super famous and she did a check-in as she kept this promise to herself on her happiness and she's like, I don't feel happy with all this fame. So I'm not going to have the fame anymore. And so she purposely removed herself from the spotlight to prioritize happiness. Wow. Yeah. And all these other things. I mean, it's like a three hour interview and the whole thing is like jaw dropping, must listen. I afterward, I wanted to like listen to her book on on audio and I wanted to like everything that she is about. She even created a center all focused on happiness and she helps kids because, you know, a lot of troubled kids like they they don't know how to attain a life of happiness. So because you grow up with such toxicity around you and so that 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 ends up becoming like the outcome of who you are later on so she's like no 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 your your past doesn't need to define your future oh amen to that I oh my god I can't wait to listen to that that sounds yeah, so it's great. amazing it was so amazing so it just kind of in a different way um with hers I think it was more like um mental and lifestyle health and with you it was physical health but it's just really interesting that when we prioritize at its essence self-love and happiness how it it legitimately cures our brains and our bodies totally and you know what you just said something so important because even though mine manifested physically you know with chronic illness it didn't just happen overnight 
you know, with any chronic illness, it was something for me that had been building. It was like self-sabotage for so long. And I know for me, stress played a massive part in that. And I can pretty much pinpoint the stressful things in my life that sent me over the edge that like I can pinpoint them. But like it's it's so important to me that the whole human being is nurtured. And, you know, I, I gave a TEDx talk not too long ago and, you know, I talk about those three P's like our physical, psychological and physio- physiological health are so important. And ordinarily, we are just treating or thinking or, or, you know, looking after one part of that. But I believe and it's my opinion and actually it's my experience with seeing it with my clients. When we nurture those three P's, the whole human being, like miracles happen. Like it, I had one person reverse optic neuritis in my last program. She hadn't been able to read a book in eight years. She's now on her fourth or fifth book. Stop. I can't. It's so crazy. I mean, like, okay, so it's not as intense as as her story or as your story. But there was a point where I overworked myself so much I couldn't walk for five months. I was in pain that I never want to experience again. On the same day, I got bronchitis and I, I couldn't walk. And I knew instinctively it's because I was not taking care of myself. And so that my body decided, all right, we'll shut you down for you. <laughs> like, wow. Yeah. And so I have a, I have like a, a little bit of empathy, like, you know, a little bit of association to like what it feels like to not take care of ourselves that then manifests into like f- physical ailments. Of course, nothing compared to, to your story. But so share with us how how do we do this? How did you create this company? How did how do you do this? How did you how did you help her read? How did you get over your M? Like, Tell us more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to- totally. And look, just to say it, you know, you mentioning there about not being able to walk for a while, it, each to their own, you know, like there's no sever- severity and, you know, or competition in, oh God, I was worse or, or, or even, you know, one thing that I, I hear clients come to me and I can hear like there's this almost self-blame going on, like I shouldn't have done this and I knew that I shouldn't. Like the biggest thing for me and the starting point was me forgiving myself and actually putting the bag of rocks down that I had been carrying on my goddamn back for so long. You know, oh, my God, you shouldn't have done this. Oh, my God. If you had done this, then this wouldn't have happened. It was I won't curse. It was so constant and so goddamn heavy that when I forgave myself, it was like putting the bag of rocks down and actually using them to step on to propel myself forward. So let me answer the first question first. So I didn't actually set up this company on purpose, is what I might say. So when the I, company found you. Well, really? Though, this is did. your purpose in the in the world. You are going to create this company whether you want to or not. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So when I got this news from my neurologist, I was like, oh, my God, amazing. You know, because my, my ex and I moved into my mom's house a, a, a while before we broke up to save to buy a home. And so when he walked out that on Christmas Day, I was then back in my mom's house with two kids on benefits, feeling like a rock star, <laughs> you know. So when I got this news, I was like, oh, my God, I'm going back to get a job. I'm going to buy myself a car. I'm going to move out. And that's what I did. I got a job managing a finance company, which I had no business doing, might I tell you. <laughs> and after a few months of being there, I hated it. And I found myself just helping the 
people individually with stuff in their personal life and their health, because that's just what I was always drawn to doing. And I ended up going back and studying to be a coach. And I ended up publishing a gratitude journal in that time. I got up some money. I funded it myself. And I put, I, I think I printed like a few thousand copies and I sold out of them all. And actually, my sister was only saying to me yesterday, you've got to print more because I've sold out a few times over. So I think I will do that. Anyway, people then started... I will buy your next gratitude journal. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but I started getting... Uh, phone calls from the media saying, oh, you know, can we do a feature on you? Which was cool, you know. And so I've been in the media a bit. And then people started contacting me. Oh, I heard you've cured yourself of MS. I'm like, no, I didn't cure myself. I never used that word, but I'll tell you what I did in the hope that it might help you. So then I'd end up spending, you know, two, three hours on the phone to maybe two or three people a day. And, you know, part of my job was driving around. So I'd end up being on the phone and then I'd get home and somebody else would call and I'd be cooking dinner and shooing the kids away from me because my heart would be breaking on the phone to another young mom who's just been diagnosed or, you know, someone's wife and he's worried about her. And then I'd wake up in the middle of the night and be like, shit, I forgot to tell them about this. Or, And then I'd be going back through my phone trying to figure out who it was that I spoke to and was it that person or did I tell them that? So I thought, okay, I've, I've got to do something here. So I started running classes on Zoom before Zoom was a thing, might I add. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then it turned into more and more people. And then I was like, okay, I better start writing this down because I was just sharing it on the fly. I'd prepare, you know, during that day. Okay, this day I'll talk about hydration. Uh, the next day I'll talk about mindset. The next day I'll talk about nutrition. And I suppose I have, I have five pillars really. And, you know, this might answer your next question. It's... um. You know, I suppose it's all under the three piece, so psychological, physiological and physical. And I suppose drill down a little bit more would be mindset, uh, nutrition, movement, uh, nurture, which would be sleep and, you know, self-care and then community. And there are the five things or the five pillars that I I have seen make such a difference. And, you know, I, I have seven steps in my program and underneath all of those steps, there's a mini program within each of that as well, because... You know, I could probably deliver my program in a weekend or maybe two weekends, but it's so important to me that I work with someone for at least three months, like at least three months so that I can be with them when shit doesn't go well. You know, because like part of this program is really getting radically honest with yourself about what's working and what's not. And actually, you know, getting uncomfortable in that gap, really, you know, stepping into that gap. And it's scary because, you know, you've if you've been doing something your whole life and then you're looking going, OK, that's really not working for me and I've got to do something different, especially if you've, you know, you've got other people in your household and you're starting to change what you're doing and who you're being and how you show up and how you speak about yourself and others. And, you know, it, it's a different dynamic for yourself to get used to, never mind going into society or your job or whatever else that might be. So it's important that I am there to support somebody through that and that when it's not going so well for them, they can come back and get that support and be around people in a structured, safe environment. It's not just a group on Facebook where anybody can post whatever they want and dump their stuff that may trigger somebody else. Like it's a really curated space. I mean, it's just such a it's it's hard to like absorb, right? How many people have you personally seen transform from 
having an illness like you had to all of a sudden an MRI being like, wait, like there's there's nothing there anymore or or how or the words that you would put it in. How real is that really? Yeah. So I'm, I'm so glad you asked that question. So here's what I don't like. My work is not promising somebody's going to get the same results as me. Like and I would never, ever, ever do that. My promise to people is that they, they'll get to use MS as a catalyst for transforming loads of other areas of their life as well as their health. And so what I find is that people's symptoms greatly reduce in my groups. And, I, you know, I'll do studies and... and Like, Karen, you really think a life of self-love and happiness... I mean, I know I've experienced it too, but still, even though I've had a personal experience, it's still so hard to believe that is that powerful. Do you yeah. know what I mean? I... Totally. No, you mean, and you know what? It's so funny because I'm so, I'm so used to it because I'm in it every day that I forget how absolutely batshit it sounds, <laughs> you know, yeah, outside of just, this. No, so let's, and even let's having that, that personal experience, I still feel like, like sometimes I feel like I, when I first started to have my, my pain, I didn't know if that would be the rest of my life. And it, my, in end now, looking back and knowing what happened, I, um, it was five months and then I, I was okay after five months. And I'm, I'm still mindful now of how I use my body because I, I never want to go backward, you know? And so like, I'm just really mindful of, of the operation of my body, the mechanics of my body. But, um, but even with that, in my, my theme, in my recovery, I knew it instantaneously it was space. Esprit, you don't make space. Uh, you, like, you don't make space in your home. You don't make space in your company operations. You don't make space for yourself. You don't make space. There's no space. Because of that, my body was compressed, which which was what was causing, like, the pain, right? So, so I was on a journey to make space. <laughs> my main um, form of recovery was the Alexander Technique, which is essentially making space in your body. I'm not going to get into it now. But that journey for me took five months of like mentally making space, physically making space, any kind of way that I could make space. I knew that was my journey to learn how to make space for myself. And still talking to you and my own experience, I'm just like, but what if I was just lucky? <laughs> you know? Esprit, I have the same thoughts. I, well, I did have the same thoughts about myself. And thank you for saying that because, it, it, you know, it does sound and, and, and I suppose even me setting up this company officially, my concerns were people are going to think I'm selling snake oil. Because it does sound like real like, oh, come, you know, come and do this and you're going to feel great. And and things like that usually really turn me off. But I suppose if if you think about it like, Self-love is the is almost like the foundation of a house. It's, it's like building a house, right? Your health. If we start with the self-love, then you've got a proper foundation to build on. Because I get people coming to me and usually the first question they come to me is, what diet and exercise did you do? And that's like asking about the wiring and the plumbing of a house. It's like, well, we've got to put in the foundation first and then we can talk about that and how many bedrooms, all the rest. Like we've got to actually deal with the human being themselves, because if I just say, if say someone does come to me or say, Esper, you came to me at that time and you said, tell me what to eat and tell me what exercise to do. I could do that, but I might not know then about you have a particular stress that's going on consistently every day in your life and, and it's triggered by X, Y and Z and how it manifests in your body. 
So that's where I'll go to look and unpack first. Okay, what's your life like? What's, you know, what are your circumstances? What are your beliefs about yourself and what's possible? And you know, give me a sense of what you do every day. You know, where are you blocked? You know, what have you done in the past that's worked and where have you gotten stopped? And so that's where we'll look at. And so we'll we'll train and, and prime you so that you like like you doing that with with, you know, giving your body space in the Alexander technique. I've got to really make sure that you're ready to take that on because there is no integrity in me saying to somebody, oh, here's what's going to help with your diet. Here's what's going to help with you moving. If you feel absolutely shit about yourself all the time, you can feed yourself the most amazing foods in the world. But if your body is in a stress response state, you are not going to absorb. If your blood sugars aren't balanced or if, if you're so stressed that you can't actually absorb, your blood sugars are all going to be all over the place. Your adrenals the same. So I've got to make sure that your body is primed before giving you any extra information because you're not going to take it in. And I, I wouldn't want to take anyone's money, time, energy, if I don't believe that they're in a place where they can actually take on what they require. So it, it's really important to me that somebody's actually ready, but also willing, you know. This is super far out there. Um, I'm just going to throw it in but before we start to rewind back to, you know, when you, you were first in business, that Gandhi says, I believe it's Gandhi says, the point of life is to be happy. And then there's this whole, uh, I don't know if the right word is rhetoric, but about, uh, and I don't know what everybody believes, but that the, the, the soul, like the soul is infinite. And sorry if this is too far out there for everybody, but the soul, I, I've just I've been doing a lot of reading and the soul is infinite. And our point of the human experience is to learn lessons. So if you combine that with Gandhi's, the point of life is to be happy and that the, we're here to learn lessons, that all these adversities are only to learn the lessons to overcome, to attain the happiness. And the happiness is actually inside ourselves the whole time. And that's what we're supposed to be discovering. It's just really hard when we're distracted by all the adversity, which is actually surface level, but it doesn't feel surface level. <laughs> I don't know. I just think there's something like really interesting to this whole thing about this tie in of like creating that like grounding foundation of like just well-being, which then impacts all these other, you know, adversities. And then hopefully you come out on the other side feeling more ease. Totally, 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 totally. And thank you for saying that. And, and you know what? I'll add to that if you don't mind. I remember a client saying to me before, you know, I just want to discover, you know, I, I can't remember the exact phrase, but and my answer back was life isn't a, it's not a process of discovery. It's creation and it's up to us to create it. You know, if we're sitting back waiting for it to happen, yeah, you'll have stuff happen. But really, it's our responsibility to create our own happiness. Honestly, that's really goddamn uncomfortable for me. <laughs> You know, it's like, oh, no, I just want somebody to come along and make me happy. And actually, one of one of my goals for this year is is to date myself because I. Yes, I've been going on yes. my own dates, too. <laughs> yes, I, I did it today. 
Karen, my theme, my word of 2022 is self-love. And I feel like just that I set out this intention of self-love for 2022, it's to learn self-love and and just everything that self-love encompasses. I feel like I attracted this conversation. <laughs> it's, it's like, because dating myself, yeah, I, I totally, it's like the other day I took myself to the Getty Museum and I saw amazing art and this gorgeous sunset and it was absolutely spectacular. Like, yes, yes to going on dates with yourself oh amazing yeah well do you know what I, I unplugged over New Year's for like four days I turned my phone off I did a little bit of work and a little bit of writing but I came up with I was like oh I, you know I have, I have goals every year and I, I looked back in 2021 but like I really want something easy so I love that you have self-love as your word but I, I created my ABCD of goals can I tell you them yes please so A is for abundance without apology um, B abundance is abundance without apology without apology so I'm not going to feel guilty for the abundance that I want to bring to myself and my life because you know sometimes you're like I like I want to bring my kids on a big holiday to Orlando I want to like I want to splurge so I want to bring that abundance without apology or feeling guilty and um, then my B is building relationships and trust and then my C is the confidence to show up and the courage to fail and then D is dating myself and they're my four oh, pillars. Oh, I love this. Oh my gosh, you have to send it to me. Like, I, will. I love this. I need to have it as a screensaver on my computer. Yeah, do you this know what? I will so make great. you one. I will make you one and send it to you. So great. Wow. Well, let's get into the, the biz jam, the business of everything. So you were really big into business before your business now. Walk me through the story. Like, when did you first become interested in business and technology? Sure. So... I suppose my, my first foray into it was when I was 22. I actually originally went to go to Oxford and College. I didn't get in, but I ended up staying there because my friends were studying nursing and, and a couple of other subjects there. So I lived a student lifestyle, but actually had a full-time job, which was great. But I was managing this like really cutesy, bougie store. And I had these great ideas for the owner and she just wasn't interested in them. But there was a girl that I was working with and... Um, I was talking about this idea that I had for a cancer prevention piece of technology. So will I bother getting into the story of it? No, I won't. I won't bother talking to you about the, the technology piece. But anyway, I had a cancer prevention idea and I had then um, another business idea, which was children's pacifiers that you could change the design at the front. But the first business idea, I I like started drawing up patents and I was trying to sell it to the Australian government at 22. Like when I think back now, wow. I'm like, I'm such a baby. Wow. How you even had the courage to like figure out how to do a patent. Like that's amazing. Well, no, I didn't. I didn't do it. So d don't acknowledge no, me too but much to, for that. No, but to like <laughs> even have the thought to like go out and like go in that direction is still yeah. So incredible. Part of me wonders was I was I naive or cocky anyway, but no, we'll we'll go with we'll we'll go with what you said. And um, thank you. Um but anyway, then I, I moved home to Ireland and that friend that um I'd hired or that person that I'd hired that I'd become friends with messaged me one day and said, Oh, Channel Four, which is like a, a a national TV station in the UK, are looking for budding entrepreneurs and would I apply for this business program. And this is before the days of reality TV. It wasn't a thing like The Apprentice wasn't out. There, there was none of those things. So I was like, yeah, OK, business program. I'll take those two business ideas. And the premise was to make a million in a year. It was called Make, make Me a Million. So we I got picked through like four or five thousand people. 
Yeah, I'm telling you the very short version of it, by the way. <laughs> but, you know, at the time, my youngest child, I mean, Olin was six months maybe at the time. So I was a new mom. So I didn't know my ass from my elbow. You know, I was barely getting sleep. And I was thinking in my head, OK, you've got this business idea. Like, come on, this is your chance. This is the yellow brick road. Go for it. So when I got through all those people, it was like, oh, my God. But then we, I was handed another business plan to work on, which was a kiddie's hairdressers. And I was thinking, what? I, I didn't sign up for this, but I'm going to do it anyway, because there's a millionaire entrepreneur that's mentoring me. So I'll just go with it. Such a cool experience. So, like, I got to, you know, create the IP, um, which was it was a little different to the initial plan because I started doing my uh, due diligence and looking at, OK, well, can you actually make a million pounds in a year with a kiddie's hairdressers? And I was thinking, OK, you've got insurance and overheads and training and I'm not a hairdresser, you know. So uh, a sideline idea um, was to have a range of products. So I started looking into, well, how could I make it almost organic without the price? And my daughter had eczema. So I rang around all the manufacturers and um, was looking at the technology of making something almost organic without it being or, or having the price tag of organic and and got branding. I mean, there was so much to it. And, and I did this with my friend and the millionaire entrepreneur, but I ended up finding this data list. Uh, by the way, there was mobile phones then, but there wasn't like apps or iPhones or anything like that. It was basic text so that you were limited. Um, but found this database of producers and I rang for days on end until I found one that would make the the concoction that I wanted to. And so we started pitching to like international retailers and got like, you know, exclusivity deals. And during this time, uh, I was asked if I'd move from Ireland to the UK which was a big deal. It's like moving from, you know, Canada to the US. And they asked me to leave my child at home. And I said no, because I was being flouted as, you know, the the, the mom from Ireland that wants to do well and da, 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 da. And I thought, well, no, I'm not going to, you know, go into business and, you know, be used as being a mom, but then, you know, not bring my daughter with me. So anyway, I, I, my parents loaned me money and I got myself set up with an apartment in London and um, got her into childcare and all of that. And then, my friend moved in with the millionaire mentor and things then shifted. The relationship shifted and I'd arrive into the office at like, you know, 8.39 and they'd already been up and working together. And one day, I'm telling you, this is such a short version of the story. But on the cusp of signing a, a 13.4 million pound deal, my friend and the, and the mentor said, we'd like you to have a lesser shareholding in the business or else or else walk away because you can't <gasps> give enough time to it. What? Yeah. Yeah, it was so Machiavellian. I mean. Wow. This is age 23. Like. Wow. I mean. And the three of you had built this together at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I, I had the IP. I created wow. the IP. <laughs> so then what happened? What happened was like. I was going to say really interesting. It's not really interesting. I got totally scared. They told me not to come back all fighting an Irish, that they'd heavyweight lawyers that I'd never win. And so I put my head between my legs and I did nothing. Yeah, until about three years ago. And I took them to the high court. 
14 years later. I didn't win, but I did get an opportunity to have the voice that that 23-year-old didn't have. You know, at 23 coming home, I mean, I had such a dent in my self-belief, you know, the not good enough, the, you know, not being connected, that I did something wrong. Oh my God, like, it, it, it took such a massive, massive effect on everything. And I mean, you know, that was filmed over a year. And I remember I got uh, the job opening up Jimmy Choo in Ireland. It, it wasn't in Ireland. So I did all the training. I did all the buying. Um, I hired all the team. You know, I was in London going back and forth, um, you know, met Tamara Mellon and Sandra Choi. And it was just it was such a gorgeous job. And then when the programme came out a year later, I had the media calling me, showing up at work. I had people in, you know, customers, uh, staff, even there going, I recognise you from somewhere. Are you on TV? Oh, my God. Are, the, are you that girl on TV? And when I tell you every time someone did that, I felt like the wind was kicked out of me. And I ended up leaving that job because I couldn't actually face being. And when I say being recognised, I probably wasn't very recognised at all, Esprit. But in my head, in my head, I felt like I was walking around with a big sign saying failure across the top of my head, you know, like in neon. So I ended up leaving like probably my favourite job and then going and working, you know, in another retail store, you know, and fairness, it was, you know, it was more money and it was more responsibility and all the rest. But like it was just, I felt like I had to hide. I was devastated because it was like I wanted to show up and be proud of everything that I did, but I felt like I couldn't own it because of how it ended. And how nasty it was. And I, honestly, I felt really stupid. So it took me quite a while to then build that up. And as I was in jobs, I felt like I had more to give. But I was afraid of unleashing myself, so to speak, in case I failed. So I kind of just stayed on the surface level the whole time, just doing what I needed to do. You know, being a good girl, in inverted commas, so that I just didn't put myself across the line to be a failure again. And I think it wasn't until this diagnosis of MS that everything just kind of bubbled over. You know, it everything just spilled out and I couldn't contain what I was dealing with, the upset and everything else. It was like I couldn't run away from it anymore and I had to deal with my demons, you know, um, which wasn't comfortable. Like it really wasn't comfortable. Um, and then, you know, I was for forced into is the wrong word, but I was invited forcefully into setting up this company again. And so it's it's a healing for myself in a whole other way, showing up, doing this um, and being a contribution to others. So it's like this tapestry of messed up, you know, synchronicities and serendipity doing what I'm doing because of what happened. And I've no doubt that that played a massive part. And one of the things that happened just before I was diagnosed with MS was my friend called over to my house. I was changing my second daughter's nappy and she said, Karen, why did you never do anything about that company that you set up with Channel 4? And my my autopilot response was, karma will look after that. And she said, but they just sold the company for 44 million. No. <laughs> and I was a 25% shareholder. Yeah. So, yeah, you can imagine. You can imagine how that felt. So it was just such a kick in the ass. But, you know, like the thing that the emotions and that showed up there was 
oh, Karen, you're so stupid. Like, I felt so ashamed that I didn't do anything about it because I was so scared. You know, my parents saying at the time, you know, this whole Channel 4 thing going on, oh, Karen, we'll help you, you know, fight it. And I remember thinking, I don't want to take any more of your money. I've already failed enough and, you know, wasted your money. I don't want to do anything more. So it was like I was licking my wounds and being upset and angry and just staying small and staying quiet, you know. So it was such a healing process. Then, you know, I, I worked on the court case for like three years Um and I remember the whatever talks that you have beforehand, I can't remember now, I've clearly blocked some of it out, but you have like a preliminary hearing and I was the only woman in the room and there was about 13 or 14 uh, male legal eagles around the table and I had to give a statement, which I only was asked to do the day before. So I wrote it. I was staying in my friend's apartment in London. And when I say that, I cried for about 12 hours solid writing it. And I stood up and I delivered. It was I'll never forget. It was the 1st of March, I think 2017 or 2018. And uh, maybe it was 2016. Anyway, whatever year it was, I stood up and I read it and I started crying about halfway through it. I remember my barrister kind of touched my arm and he said, do you want me to continue? And I was like, no, thank you. I've got this. And I stood and I read it. And like my, you know, when Nikki get that feeling in your throat and I stopped a couple of times and I got my breath and I just read it through the tears. And it was like, I didn't even need to go to court after that because I, I said what I needed to say. I had my voice. I got to speak up for myself and that was enough. It was actually enough. But I had to go through the court case. So. Wow. Yeah. And, and I want to acknowledge that, I mean, I'm going through the process right now of discovering my voice and my boundaries. Like I said, self-love um, because of life experiences I've had in my past. It's made me feel that I need to be small for to be loved and for other people to feel comfortable around me. Um, and so I'm teaching myself how to embrace my voice, how to... Uh, have clarity on my own truths and how to have the courage to communicate my truths, no matter how someone else will react in response to my own truths, you know, and it's not easy. Like it's it's not just have a voice and speak up. It's like I mean, I was even working on a text message before that when I took the walk before this interview of someone I really care about who didn't treat me with honor and I wanted to like give in and give them whatever they want. And but I'm in this place of awareness where like I want to make sure I'm loving myself first. And I and that energy of giving someone who's mistreated me whatever they want is like very depleting. And so I was like, all right, Esprit, all you need to do is this is new for you. So it's okay that you don't know what to do because you're learning something new. So just start writing draft messages in your like notepad like don't respond right now because you need to learn and you need to like sit with it and see that it feels genuinely honest and that you're taking care of yourself first and it's a process so like learning to have our voice and communicating our truths is like a very long difficult and confusing process oh it so is thank you for sharing that and oh my god it is so uncomfortable to do that. So I, I so acknowledge you for it. You know, being able to realize it, first of all, you know, what's going on and be able to stop and have that check in with like, hey, this actually doesn't work for me. And then to be able to respond in a way that's empowering for you is goddamn hard. 
So really, really well done. One of the one of the things in my program, which is like probably one of my favorite things is, you know, how we listen for ourselves and how we listen for others. And I don't know if you know about the the four cornerstones of listening. So the, the first group, I hope I remember this, is like compassion. You listen from compassion and rolling acknowledgement, appreciation, respect and honor. And the second then is listening for somebody's commitment. So like I'll give an example of my ex if we're having an argument and you know like on somebody that you know they have a pattern of pissing you off and I'm sure that you know I have exactly the same for him but sometimes I'm listening for him and before he's even said anything I'm like you're an asshole <laughs> you know and he's not that's doing that but actually then when I look back and, and how what he's actually committed to is that both of our kids have a really great upbringing and, and we might be actually looking to solve the same issue but we're just coming at it from two different areas so it actually gives me a little bit of compassion for myself and for him too and then a part of that second group is like listening for the gold it's like listening you're not listening to what the person is saying you're listening for what's going on underneath I'll give you the example of you know if you walk into a store I don't know if this is an Irish thing you know if somebody says can I help you no no thank you I'm fine is my <laughs> automatic response and then like five minutes later I'm like shit sorry can you help me you know but it's so it's like it, when somebody asks you how you are it's like you yeah, know I'm fine you have this automatic response you know one of my aunts has this response when I ask her how are things she's like oh nothing exciting or wonderful and I'm like no don't say that but like really you know what's going on for her underneath that could be something different or she's just so used to saying that so it really is listening for you know listening to learn then the third group is like um, intentionality and bold and ruthless compassion and then the fourth is that there's nothing wrong you know sometimes when somebody starts starts speaking you're like shit what are they going to say it sounds like they're delivering bad news and it's like just being with the conversation and, and being rather than thinking about what do I need to say next or how do I need to react? It's like just being with the words. This has been such a powerful, powerful conversation. I know it's a little bit unique from our normal, our normal conversations, just getting into the tech nitty gritty. But I think it's really important to understand like this is what this podcast is about, understanding the journey of being in business and being in tech and being a builder and and what that creation process means to our lives and our, our physical and mental well-beings. Yeah. I'll yeah. gladly talk about the tech though. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Let's let's get into the tech. Like share with share with me right now your focus in the tech world. I started as I was saying on Zoom and then I built a program and I used, you know, the learning platform Thinkific and now I'm using this nutritional therapy. So I have a faculty of experts and I was trying to think, well how do I bring everyone into the same teaching platform style alignment where we can communicate with each other, you know, have access to the clients and how can I best, you know, do that with them. So I'm actually using um, a platform called Better Practice and then I've built my own hybrid technology around it um, and my own website too, where I can amalgamate all three platforms so that the user experience is seamless so that the front end facing website is OK, they can get a sense of who I am and what it is, because, you know, as like you said, it's it's not a common conversation to be having, you know, and when somebody is is, you know, diagnosed with an autoimmune condition, there's a lot of flight or fight response. And I am not, you know, medically trained, you know, I'm a qualified coach and I'm qualified in, in a lot of different modalities, but I have a faculty of experts around me in in nutrition and health and in medical. And 
it's like, well, how do I create a space so that if somebody's in this position that they come and they get warmth, that they also get fun, that, you know, even though it's not, you know, a fun thing to be dealing with, but it's light as well as, you know, encouraging and, and loving. And it's somewhere to come to get some comfort, but also really to get some great help and support. And honestly, it took me about two years to build the website that I've just actually launched. And it's still not perfect. I don't think it'll ever be perfect in my eyes. But I've managed to group everything together and I've built like a report, a wellness report. And this is actually for people that don't have an illness either, because the more and more that I work, the more I find that this program is actually for everyone. It's not it's not just about illness. And even though we, we talk about MS and some parts of it, I've built another program for people who just want to have a great life and actually look at all of the pillars of their life and have them work. But but for me, the technology side has been it's probably where I get stopped the most because I want to have it perfect. I procrastinate, which is my biggest enemy. I procrastinate like hell. And and I usually will leave things until like the week before and then be like, OK, you just got to get it done. Whereas I've probably had about three weeks to get it done. So for me, the, you know, technology that, that I use on a daily basis would be focus made to actually keep me on track yes. and, and accountability partners, which is where we we met one yes. of the times. Everybody focus made is amazing. It's virtual co-working. That's the shout the, the software shout out of the episode is focus mate. It's absolutely focusmate.com. I use it almost every day, have multiple sessions. It's extraordinary. Yeah, I, I actually don't work well now if I don't go on to that. And I and I go between the 50 minute and 25 minute session sessions. But yeah, where I'm at at the moment is that I, I'm in a, a huge tech upgrade at the moment and I've invested so much money and I, I'm in the last like 0.05% of that before my next program um, launches in February. But I found this incredible platform called Better Practice and it's actually built for nutritional therapists, but I can track all of the food, the sleep, the, uh, the um, what do you call it, the mood. Um, I, I can track so much and it allows all of my faculty then to go in and be able to keep on top of people individually and communicate effectively like it is honestly such an amazing platform and I get that you know the likes of Kajabi and things like that out there are amazing better practice probably have a little bit of of way to go to make it that kind of marketing friendly so to speak but in terms of of user interface and for me it's amazing and there's an app too but I'm I'm building my own um my own platform in the background as well to feed into my own but in the meantime that's what I'm using and it is great but, you know, the want to have everything perfect and that user experience perfect can be absolutely debilitating because I spent so long researching what I could do, what was it within my capabilities and budget and all the rest that you could actually sit back and not do anything for a long time and just wait for it to be perfect or wait, you know, the next few months to have my own platform up and running. But for now, that's what I'm using and it is working so, so well. Um, and the feedback has been incredible for my own um, clients and participants. So, And let's talk about perfection. I, if I remember correctly, we were on a focus mate session. You and I did not know one another. And in your session, your goal for that session was to launch. Yeah. And so <laughs> and like did. we launched together. Like I was like, you're <laughs> like, I'm launching my company right now in this focus mate session. And I'm like, go <laughs> you. <laughs> 
I know. You were there when I pressed the go button on my website and on that platform. I took like, pictures, was... right? I think I sent you <laughs> I the pictures. You did. Yeah. you did. I've actually got to post them. That was so cool. Like, talk about the universe and like lining it up to be perfect. I think I pretty, I think I cried during that focus mate session because it was so uncomfortable because I, like I wasn't ready. I don't think I ever would have been ready. But, you know, you're like, I could have had this or I should have that ready or, you know, I should have a different picture there or whatever it might be. And I just hit go. And, you know, the sweaty palms come back even when I talk about it now because there's still a couple of widgets that I, I need to uh, I need to update and replace. But, yeah, I, I launched my my website and my platform while I was on a focus made session with you. So it's live and it's not it's perfect. So crazy. But it's, you know, it's there. Was it worth was it worth the conceptual clicking of the launch? Are you glad you launched when you launched? Absolutely. Absolutely am. And, and actually, since I've added um, a couple of extra bits to it too, like my giving back initiative, which I do for every client that we sign up. But yeah, look, you know what? It, it's It's been a labor of love. And and stress, like you know, does anybody <laughs> it's ever? So true. Entrepreneurship is completely a labor of love and stress. <laughs> I know. I like. Who would have thought? You know, people say, "Oh, you know, do what you love, and you'll never work a day in your life." I'm sorry, that's not true. <laughs> it's not true. <laughs> and I love what I do. I absolutely love it. But there are days when it's like, I I want to hire ten people because. You know, there's there's parts of it that are just really hard and they're really hard when you're doing them by yourself as an entrepreneur. But look, technology for me, I I wouldn't be able to do what I'm doing and have the reach. I I mean, I think I'm working in 12 different countries at the moment or I have clients in 12 or either 12 or 14 different countries around the world like that would not have been possible. And what I will say is and God, I hope nobody takes this and um, or, or I hope it lands the way it's supposed to. But COVID has made it more accessible and more normal for people to access the type of support that I give without it being a weird thing. Because beforehand, if I'd have, you know, calls with potential clients and they'd be like, oh, you know, well, how am I going to see you because I'm in Canada or I'm in New York? And it's like, well, no, we do everything over Zoom. And now it's just it's not even a secondary thought. It's like totally a daily occurrence for people. So it's it's really helped take one of the first steps out in, in trying to have people be comfortable um, showing up to my programs and work. So. so cool. I'm so glad you launched, too. A couple last quick fire questions before we wrap up. Who is a creator that you recommend that we follow? It could be a YouTube channel, a blog. It could be a podcaster, an author. Yeah, like you, of course. Oh my God, you're so sweet. Um, I would say Amy Porterfield is just such, she's so cool. Like I I love that woman and I just love how normal she is. I love Joe Rogan as well. I also love James Whitaker. Sorry, I've given you three now. Um, (laughs) um, Yeah, there's so many. There's so many. We talked about Focusmate. Is there another app or software that comes to mind that is like, or mobile app that's like your go-to is amazing, you can't live without? Yeah, Forest is another uh is a the accountability. Yeah, love Forest. Tell us tell yeah. us what Forest does. 
you see, yeah, so you pick how long it is that you want to focus for or not pick up your phone for. And then you set the timer and it grows a tree whilst uh, you don't pick up your phone. And if you pick up your phone, the tree dies. <laughs> so it's, it's so great. So you can grow your own forest um, and actually get things done, <laughs> which is great. And what would you say is uh, a book that just really made an impact on you? It could be in your personal life or professional life. What book do you recommend we read? Uh, I would say The Four Agreements. So simple. You've probably had this answer absolutely loads of times, but it, I mean, it, it really is. It, it, you know, tell integrity. us what it's about. Yeah. So it's four agreements that you make with yourself. Um, the first one is, um, what is the first one? Be impeccable with your word and then don't take anything personally. Don't make assumptions and always do your best. It's, it's, it's just really simple, you know, things to live by. It's like my ABCDs of goals. It's just like, you know, integrity is a massive pillar in um, in the work that I do. So, um, yeah, it's, it's just like a, a moral compass, you know? Totally. And what advice ha- have you gotten um, throughout your journey that you've really held dear and it's helped you propel forward? There's probably two. So there's probably fall in love with failure, you know, really fall in love with it. So it's just not this big, scary thing. And then without integrity, nothing works. You know, like do the right thing. Do the right thing. Without integrity. Always do the right thing. A hundred percent. Karen, I saw on your Instagram something really exciting and you haven't brought it up at all. You have won some incredible awards. Can you tell us a little bit about that, please? Sure. Well, thank you for bringing them up. You know what? I never bring those up in interviews because you do feel like you're, you know, blowing your own trumpet. So thank you. And I think all of us need to brag. It's so important to like honor the achievements that uh, we've worked so hard to attain. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I I can feel myself blushing a little bit, but you know what? I'm going to tell you anyway. So I I won company of the year in the US Business Awards. I I won a couple of things and I I won um, uh, health and well-being coach of the year for the Republic of Ireland. And then last year I won the best nonprofit COVID response for doing 100 days of live meditation. We had like grandmothers and grandkids in different countries meditating together. It was so cool. Just trying to think, what could I do to make a difference with all the stuff going on? And I thought, okay, let's meditate. So yeah, so that was really cool. I love it. Always, always brag. Like we need to shout our wins from the rooftops. It's so important. We ended the recording and she's like, oh yeah, by the way, I'm launching a cool podcast. I'm like, and why didn't you talk about it? Ah, I just, you know, what is your podcast? So the podcast is called Talk Healing to Me. And it's like all of those things that, you know, I wish that I knew about when I was dealing with stress, even before I had MS. It's like just some comfort and nurturing and some really great, cool information that you can help yourself at home deal with stress and whatever else is going on in your life. So I'm so excited about it. So thank you. Talk healing to me. I can't wait to be one of your first listeners. (laughs) And guests. Thank you very much. (laughs) Yes, I am so excited to be a guest. Thank you for asking. Thank you. When I'm like just in with a mic, like it's hard to know how I'm impacting, you know? I wanted to ask you, I mean, it means so much you just said, This is going to sound so crazy. What is it about this show? There's like zillions of shows. Why is this show the one you've listened to for so long? You know what? It's because it it makes success accessible. It makes me feel like it's possible for me to break through my own bullshit 
because you have on the most incredible women in the most amazing companies and they're having conversations about everything from, you know, dealing with their kids to tech, to investments, to whatever it might be. You know, it's enlightening conversation, but it also makes it very real and accessible. So much so that, you know, you're, you then you see the next one coming, you're like, oh, who's this? And, and you get to know about that company too. And you're like, holy shit, they're so successful. And it, it just allows that light in that there's people out there that are willing other women to succeed. You know, and that's so special. And today is actually Nolig Naman in Ireland, which means women's little Christmas. I don't know if you've heard of this before, but it means the roles are reversed in the household and it's when women are acknowledged for the care and support and love and nurture that they give all year round and particularly over Christmas. And it's the day where the women rest and the men take over the roles. So it's it's a particularly nice day to do this podcast and be interviewed too. It's really special, particularly women in tech. So, you know, roles have changed so much in the last few years. So it's women aren't just at home, home doing things now. Like women are out doing it all. And it's tough, you know, like I'm a single mom with two kids and running the business that I'm running. And so to be able to hear other women who are like paving the way before me is... It, it like it actually fills my heart. Man, thank yeah, you it's so gorgeous. much. And thank, thank you, you for telling me about this holiday. We need one of the US. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we do. <laughs> we sure do. Yeah, no, thank you for who you are and what you're doing. It's so important for our younger generations of women. Thank you. So Karen, how can people discover more? How can they be a part of your community? You know what? It is so important for people to get a clear picture on where they're at. So if they go to my website, karendwire.com and take the wellness scorecard, they'll get their personalised report on where they are and, and some helpful tips on what they can do to elevate and accelerate their wellness. Go listen to my TEDx talk. Um, if you type in Karen Dwyer TEDx or what's chronic illness got to do with your shoe size, um, you'll find my TEDx talk. Go give it a listen. How can people connect with you? Uh, so karendwire.com or Instagram. My handle is I am Karen Dwyer, K-A-R-E-N-D-W-Y-E-R, LinkedIn or uh, hello at karendwire.com. Karen, thank you so much for hanging out with the Women in Tech podcast to connect and collaborate with more amazing women in tech all around the world. Remember to go to our community, womenintechvip.com. That's womenintechvip.com. Say hello on social at Women in Tech Show on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. I will see you guys, talk to you guys, hear you guys in the next episode. Bye. Bye, everyone. Thank you. Hey, this is Karen from KarenDwyer.com based in Dublin, Ireland. We look after people with chronic illness and we transform their physical, mental and emotional health. And you are listening to Women in Tech. The Women in Tech podcast is hosted and produced by me, Esprit Devora, With help from Janice Geronimo. Edited by Corey Jennings. Production and voiceover by Adam Carroll. And music from Jay Huffman Live and Epidemic Sound. The Women in Tech podcast is a wearetech.fm production. Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener. Go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes.